Welcome to our podcast here at Encounter Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We pray that as you listen to this message, you will not only be challenged, but changed. Our desire is to be a place where life starts, love happens, and purpose is revealed. If you're in our area, join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. and every first Wednesday at 6.45 p.m. For more information about our church, you can visit us at EncounterChurch.today or follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Periscope. Just search eChurchBR. We invite you now to open your hearts to receive what God has for you. Here's today's message. Good morning. How are we all doing? Great to see everybody here this morning. Impressive group of people all here in your nice, happy, smiling faces. Look at you. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Great to be here this morning. Uh, as Michael said there on uh, the announcements, it's a, a very important thing that we do, uh, an exciting thing we do. We had to have the opportunity to help people out during the Thanksgiving week with our Thanksgiving outreach. Thank you to all of you who have taken bags away to uh, fill up. It's very, very kind of you to take the bags away, all 60-something of you. That's awesome. Uh, thank you for taking those bags away. Uh, I'll thank you even more when the other 58 bring them back filled. Uh, we have two that have come back right now. So this is just a friendly reminder. Myself included, my bag has been... Uh, I felt so proud of myself. The, the, the day the bags were made, I took mine home, and it's still sat on my kitchen table empty. Uh, so I'm, I'm preaching to myself, same as always, same as the message I'm about to deliver, uh, preaching to myself as much as you. But please do uh, remember to bring those uh, bags back by next Sunday, please, just to give us time to get everything together and to, to plan out the outreach. Uh, if you can do, that would be awesome. All right, great to be here, as I said this morning. got a word for you uh, today, several words. Uh, actually, uh, if you know me, you know that's the truth. Um, so I'm looking forward, so excited about delivering this message to you this morning. Let's open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you. We thank you for who it is that you are, God. We give you praise and we give you glory for everything, Father God, and for who, as I said, you are in our lives, Lord God. I pray that as every time I hold this microphone that you would use me, Lord God. I pray that every word from my mouth is yours and not mine. I pray that you would give me the anointing, that you would give me the strength right now, Father God. I come against every lie and plan and scheme of the enemy in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that hearts would be changed today, that minds would be changed today, that lives would be changed today, Father, and people would leave here differently to how they arrived. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Listen, I'm going to do something very unusual to you right now. We're going to be completely open and transparent with you. And I'm doing that just to lay it all out there so that... Uh, I'm not feeling nervous going through this message. I've never felt like I feel right now before preaching a message. I just told Megan I was this close to getting in my car and driving away, and I'm not playing with you. So I'm here. I'm on the stage. I've just called the Satan out. Not today. Um, so here's the deal. If it's a really bad message and I deliver it really badly, just please, A, don't hold it against me, and B, come back for the 11 o'clock service, because it'll probably be better then. All right, so, um, but I'm excited. I'm genuinely excited to be here. Uh, and I'm praying, as I said, that the word today is going to touch and impact you in a big way. We're going to be kicking off a new series this morning. It's always an honor and privilege to preach here, but particularly when I get to open up a message, uh, a series. And today, it's a very special one. It's one of the ones that we get most excited about during the course of the year on our calendar. 
Uh, it's uh, You Asked For It, and it's a very uh, powerful series. Hopefully there's going to be at least one of you here who's going to be impacted today, and I can say that with more confidence than usual uh, because it's a topic that you all asked for. Uh, so there's at least somebody here that I should actually be uh, impacting um, today. We've actually sent out the cards a few weeks ago now. We, we gave you the cards to complete and to check off the topics that you would uh, like to have us speak to you about. Um, the cards are in. Uh, the answers and the votes have been counted. Uh, and one of the most um, popular responses was this, which is no surprise because this is on our... Um, our plan out for this message series every single time. This is one of the top ones that you actually check off, and I can understand why uh, as a Christian. Uh, it's a very important uh, topic indeed. And it is this. It's your, God, your plan, God's plan for your life. I told you I was going to get it wrong. Right, so there we go. Let's try that again. Cut, take two. Um, God's plan for your life. You are asking us, what is God's plan for my life? This is a massive subject. A massive subject. And it's a question that's on the minds of every Christian at some point, which is why I believe I'm particularly uh, nervous today, because I'm aware of how important this message is for people here today. That's the reason I did uh, get up on the stage and not drive away in my car, uh, because I understand that this is something which is so important uh, to Christians. The majority of Christians, I've said this before from here, and I'll say it again, uh, you know, in a poll which was actually carried out of Christians in the United States of America, it turned out that 83% of Christians don't know what their purpose is. And that's Christians. I'm not talking about non-Christians. So uh, there's a good proportion of you here who have probably checked that box on our list. So it's a massive, massive subject. And it's not, sometimes it can be so heavy on us to be thinking about what the purpose is uh, that God has for our life. It can come to the point of obsession, and if not obsession, then definitely frustration. We can feel that we're, you know, a square peg in a round hole. It's not just not, something's not clicking quite right. I don't, I don't get this. People are talking to me about purpose. I'm reading about purpose, and purpose is such a, a catchphrase in the, in the Christian world that, you know, and I'm not feeling it. I'm not sensing it. You might be in that position right now. So I'm going to hopefully, I'm going to help you to understand a few things about the plan that God has got for each and every one of us as his children. And I'm going to answer some topics uh, that I've been asked several times about this topic. So when I speak to somebody about their purpose, there tends to be common questions that are asked as we're going along. So again, massive subject. And I've got a limited amount of time today, and I'm very conscious of my time today. I'm determined I'm not going to overrun uh, today. If, if it's your first time here, then just close your ears right now. Uh, I tend to go a little bit long sometimes. So I am gonna, I'm going to be making sure that we keep it nice and short and succinct. So let's dive straight into the first question. Uh, question one, just pretend that you're asking this question of me. Does God actually have a plan for my life? Yes, he does. Band, you can come up now, if you like to. <laughs> you wish. All right. So I'm going, to, I'm going to walk you down a path today, a path of truths. Okay? Not just a path of truth, a path of truths. A path of truths about God, about you, about your relationship with God, and what it is that he desires from you. Because that's what it is your purpose is all about. It's what it is that he desires from you. I'm going to be talking about what God's plan for your life isn't. Okay, I'm going to be talking about what his plan for your life is, 
I'm going to talk to you about what you need to do about it, and I'm going to talk to you about what you stop, need to stop doing about it. So first things first, let me remind you of some of the things that you already know, because I'm just going to try and set the scene for you. We're going to get the platform, the foundation of this message, so that we know that moving forward, where it is that we're coming from. These things I'm going to remind you of, and you all know these things, I'm going to remind you of them. They need to be in the forefront of your mind as we're speaking about God's plan for your life. So here's the first reminder for you. God created everything. First verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. He created everything under you. He created everything around you, everything above you. Now, how did it go down? How, how was it that it happened? Did God create this one evening as a bit of a DIY project because he had nothing else to do? I mean, was he, was he kind of sat there? Was he bored? Was he looking for an outlet for his supernatural artistic talents? Did he see an episode of Universe Fixer Upper on HGTV and think, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that a try. I'm going to... No, he didn't. That's not what happened. This is what happened. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked, for the day of trouble. Everything that God has created was created for its purpose. What does it mean? It means that there is nothing that God has created that doesn't have its purpose. So what purpose does it have? Well, the task it fulfills is going to be different for each thing dependent on what that thing is. That's its task is going to be different. But its purpose of its task is common to all things. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him and for him. Through him and for him. Whatever the thing does, it does it for him. A tree grows for him. A rock sits where it sits for him. The clouds rain for him. The sun shines for him. God has created everything for a purpose. Now, if you being called a thing doesn't bother you, then you've just accepted the fact that you were created for a, for a purpose, right? And that purpose is for him. If, however, you don't like being called a thing, let me take it one step further. God has created every one for a purpose. He's created everybody for a purpose, deliberately, knowingly, with a reason in mind, with a plan in mind. God created you. David put it this way, speaking about God forming him. He said, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God saw David's unformed substance and had already written the days of his life, start to finish, before those days even began. But what you need to understand and grasp and realize and believe is this, what he did for David, he did for you. God knew you before you were here. And he knows Every single day of your life. He knew those days before you arrived. He knows those days now. 
those that you've had and those that you have still to come. He knows your beginning, and he knew your beginning before you began. And he knows your end. He knows the when, the where, and the how of your end. So he knows everything about your existence. He knows the why of your existence. Because your why was there before you were. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship, and we have been created for good works that God has prepared beforehand. Beforehand of what? Of you even being created. Before you were formed, your why was formed. So what does it tell us? It tells us firstly that there absolutely 100% is a plan for us. And it also means that the plan is already prepared for us to walk in. We don't have to sit around waiting for God to come up with a plan for us. God's not just going to suddenly say, oh, there you are. Now, hang on, what was I going to do with you? Um, That's not what's happened. His plan is already laid out. It's not a plan that you're supposed to be jumping in and out of. It's a plan that you are supposed to walk in. Walk in. We are supposed to be walking in our plan. It's there. As I said, it's not to dive in. It's not to dive out. It's not to spend your entire life desperately seeking. It's already there. We're not to expend our energies on making some plan up for ourselves. Because we have great and mighty plans for ourselves. Because we do. We're human. We'd all like to think that we will mean something, we can mean something, we can do something, we can achieve something, we can make an impact. We're all that way. Whether you've lived that out or not yet is irrelevant. We all have a desire inside of us to be successful, in inverted commas, to make an impact on other people's lives. So what is it that we do? We try and make up our own plans sometimes. Because why? Because we don't feel that God has one for us, and if we do, we think we've missed the boat. So let's think about how I can do it. What, what should I be doing? What looks good from the outside that I can go do? Here's the truth. God made the track. And then he made the train. He made the track for your life. And then he made you the train. To do what? The track is already there. He's put you at the start of that track when you're born. And he's turned you on and pushed you off. Now what do we know about a train on a track? It's only going to go where the track is. It's not going to go off the track. The train is going to stay on the track. And yet our lives are spent on the track, off the track, off the track. Hang on, where's the track? Oh, there's the track. On the track, off the track. That's our lives and that's how it is that we are. Because we're constantly seeking, we're constantly looking. We aren't ever saying, you know, thank you God for this track. I'm going to take the next step. Thank you, God, for this track. I'm going to take the next... Thank you. Thank you. We're not living our lives that way. So, can we all agree, based on God's word, not mine, God's word, that he has a plan for each and every one of us? 
Question two, I want you to imagine that you're asking me to answer for you. What is God's plan for my life? What is God's plan for my life? Well, let me tell you what it isn't. Your plan. It's his plan for your life. But that doesn't make it your plan. It doesn't mean that you have the right of overrule or the right of veto. You don't have that right. It's not your plan. If you are a Christian who has a desire to fulfill your calling, which I'm praying applies to 100% of you, then you are going to have times when opportunity very clearly crosses your gifts and talents and everything slots nicely into place in order that you can be active in God's will and producing both results externally, right? So in other words, you have an opportunity, it lands right in your, in your lap, it falls in line with your gifts and talents that you know are there, and then you go about that business. So then you are seeing results externally and you are feeling fulfillment internally. We've all been there, right? At least one point in your life. You've had that moment where you can sense that God's presence is there, you have an opportunity, you fulfill it, you do a great job, everything feels great on the inside of you, and you are making an impact. There's going to be times, though, where you won't be sensing that opportunity. And your nature and your flesh might very well tempt you to force the issue and to make things work. God, I've got this talent that you gave me. I have this gifting People have told me, Lord, that I have this gifting. And yet I don't feel like I'm using it right now. So I'm going to make an opportunity. I'm going to force the issue. I'm going to take what it is that you've given me, and I'm going to go do it. Even though it's not your plan and your idea, I mean, it's your gift to me, and I'm doing godly things, so it must be right. Right? Wrong. If you're not being called to do what it is that you're forcing to happen, then again, that's the, in the summary, you are forcing it to happen. Maybe you're going to try and create an opportunity, as I said, to do what you think God wants you to be doing. Or maybe you're going to do something that you want to do, knowing that actually it's you and not God controlling things. Look at what King Solomon wrote in one of his Proverbs. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Your plans might sound godly. You might think that you're doing the right thing. But ultimately, God's plan is God's plan. And that plan is not going to change to fit your plans. You are either on God's track or your own. I haven't seen a train on two tracks at the same time. It's on one track or it's on the other. You're, you, the train, are either on God's track or you're on your own track. So be mindful. When you're making decisions, pray about these decisions. Make these decisions. I'm not saying do nothing. I'm saying do something. But only when that thing is a God something and it's not a you something because it might as i said sound like a godly thing but if you're stepping off your off god's track onto your own track there's every possibility you're not going to make the step back to his and before you know it you are you're looking around to see where his track is 
So if you're in a situation where you are frustrated on the inside, you, you, you're bursting to actually do something for the Lord, pray about it. Seek godly counsel about it. And read God's word to establish if what you are about to get involved with is actually God's plan and not your own. Why? Because everything is going to be a lot better when you're in God's will and not your own. And I just don't mean the thing that you're about to do. I'm talking about everything is better when you are in God's will. Psalm 37, 23 explains it like this. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. The higher the percentage of our steps that are established by the Lord, the more productive and fulfilled we are going to be. That makes sense, right? Now, I want to feel productive. I want to feel fulfilled. I want to be in God's will in every area of my life, just as much as I can possibly be. And if I'm going to make that happen, I need to delight in His way. What does it mean? It means that I need to feel more contentment when I am doing what God wants me to do than when I'm doing what I want to do. So if God has something for me, and I have something for me, and his something for me is not all big and grandiose and impressive, and my thing is for me all big and grandiose and impressive, and I switch over to that, I need to feel more contentment doing a small thing for God than doing a big thing for me. We have to feel and sense that contentment and that pleasure and that pleasing and that sense of fulfillment knowing that what it is that I'm doing might not look like much to you. But this is what God needs me to do. So I'd much rather be doing this, thank you very much, than this over here that will give me the opportunity to give myself a pat on the back and for you to give me a pat on the back. If I can master that, if I can get to that place where I'm continually content with what it is that God has for me rather than what I have for me, then this is what's going to happen. It's going to be a cycle. I'm delighting in his way. So as the scripture says, my steps are established by him. And so because his steps are established, my steps are established by him and I'm feeling fulfilled, then I am delighting in his way. And if I'm delighting in his way, then my steps are established by him. And so on and so forth. So here's something else that God's plan for your life is not. Listen to me. Listen to me. God's plan for your life is not a 24-7, 365, non-stop, trailblazing, world-changing, awe-inspiring, revival-bringing, Demon slaying, Jesus powered, laying on of healing hands, preaching frenzy. That is not what your life is going to be. It's not supposed to look like that. You need to understand two things. The first thing is this that your whole life, the 24 7, 365 life that you have, is all part of God's plan. Every aspect of it. It's part of God's plan. We, we established, let's, time out. Let's go back to where we started. We established, didn't we, that God had a plan for you before you were born. 
So every day he knows your beginning, he knows your end, he knows everything in between. So if he does that and he knows the beginning and he knows the end and your plan is all completely laid out, then it means if you pick any moment in that time period, it's in his plan. Right? From the outside. So if I know you were born here and I know you're going to die here and I stick my pencil on your timeline, then I can tell you at every single pencil point, it's in God's plan. It's in God's plan. And you need to grasp that and understand that. You need to know that being asleep last night for as long as you slept was part of God's plan. Your drive in here this morning was part of God's plan. You going grocery shopping, painting your fence, going to work tomorrow, watching LSU getting battered last night. It's all part of your plan. God's plan for your life. Every aspect of it. It's all part of God's plan. So no matter what it is that you're doing, as long as you are what? Delighting in God's way, then you can have an impact on other people and therefore on God's kingdom. In your day to day, you can be having an impact on other people and therefore God's kingdom. And I need you to grasp this because this is one of the frustrations that I sometimes have when I'm speaking to people about their plan. Because what you have to understand is that 24-7, 365 is in God's plan. And if it's in God's plan, then it's a good plan. And if you are, com- you are following through on it, and you are doing something in that, whatever it might be, to you it might be a nothing. You might not even know that the impact it is that you are having. One conversation that you have can change somebody's life. And you might not even know that you've done that. Let me take it one step further. One conversation that you have with somebody could save somebody's life. And again, you might not even know. So whilst you're busy trying to find the next big thing that you can do, you're forgetting that the small things that you're doing, they're actually the big things that you're supposed to be doing. So don't ever minimize what it is that your life is 24-7, 365, because what you're doing is minimizing God's plan. You're not minimizing what it is that you're doing. You're minimizing God's plan. Because we've established already, God had the plan before he made you. And you can't have it both ways. He either made your plan or he didn't. Did he make your plan? Then start living 24-7, 365, as though every moment you are breathing, you are fulfilling God's plan. One kind gesture, one conversation. They can be life-changing, life-saving. Here's the thing. One small thing you do inside of God's plan for your life will have way more impact on God's kingdom than one massive thing you do outside of it. That's the key. You doing one small thing in the plan that God has for your life is going to have a better impact, a bigger impact, whether you know it or not, than you doing one massive thing outside. So the second thing you need to understand is that there may very well be some big things that you do inside God's plan for your life. But every likelihood is you're going to have to wait patiently for those things to happen. You may, at the time, when, and when the time comes and you're lying there and you're draw, about to draw your last breath, you may be able to look back on your life and remember one, two, three possibly big moments where you can look back on them with a sense of pride and fulfillment because you made an impact that was visible from the outside. 
that people's lives were changed and impacted. You may have had opportunity to speak to a group of people. You may have led somebody to Christ who then went on to speak to people. There could be something that you look back on, some big deal. One moment that you can say, that was a God thing. But that's not God's purpose for your life. That's not God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life is that moment, and then every other moment of your life as well. Because if you weren't breathing the day before, then you're not going to be there in that moment, are you? So it's all part of that plan. But you might have to be patient when you're waiting for the big thing to happen. You know, I was almost 40 when I was saved. And I was 42 when I started my ministry cleaning toilets, sweeping floors and emptying garbage cans. 42 years of age. But I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with that because I'm in fantastic company. You know, Moses... His ministry started when he saw the burning bush. Anybody know how old he was? 80 years of age. He was 80 years of age when he saw the burning bush. I pretty much think that that probably is older than any of you here. And if you, if that, if you are older than that, I don't need you to raise your hand. I mean, you can if you like, but you don't have to. But 80 years of age when Moses saw the burning bush. What about Abram, who later became Abraham? God spoke to him and changed his name. You will be a father of all nations. In the Abrahamic covenant, that's what that's called, that conversation that took place, the promise that he made to Abram. You know when that was? How old was he when the Abrahamic covenant took place? He was 99 years old. 99 years old. David, he became king at least 15 years after being anointed for the position. Samuel poured the oil on him. They said, you are going to be the next king. And then David got up, walked out, went to the field and tended sheep for another 15 years. So you might just have to wait. How about this? After the account of Jesus Christ being born in the Gospels, there's only one reference to him as a child. He was 12 years of age in the temple. And Jesus didn't even begin his ministry until he was in his mid-30s and performed his first miracle after he was 30 years of age. So let me ask you a question very logically, slightly with a tint of English sarcasm and my tongue in my cheek, as I am prone to do. If waiting is good enough for Jesus, do you think it's good enough for you? Be patient in the waiting. Be patient in the waiting. Because you know what? All of that time of Jesus coming up through his ministry, he was growing himself. He was being tested himself. He was learning himself. He was praying himself. He was growing himself. He was getting prepared and ready in the mundane ways. He was getting up in the morning. He was eating breakfast. He was going out and doing his job. He was coming home, eating his dinner, going to bed, going to sleep, waking up the next day, eating his breakfast, going to and so on and so on and so on and so on. And we've got to get patient in the wait. The vast percentage of the time in the lives of the people that we look at as heroes of the Bible, these spiritual powerhouses, I've just given you four out of the Bible right there. There's another 50 at least that I could pull out just from the Old Testament. But we can look at these powerhouses and we can think, well, you know, they're God's chosen representatives. They set the world on fire. Yes, they did, but the vast majority of their time on this planet was normal and mundane. They led normal lives according to the time that they were in. So whether they were sleeping or eating or walking in the desert or slaying giants with a slingshot, all of that was part of God's plan 
for their lives. So here's my advice. Slow down. Pause for breath. Stop running at full speed all of the time and thinking that if you are not putting a check mark next to something on your spiritual to-do list, that you are outside of God's will. You know, here's an irony for you. God's will might just be that you are not to be doing anything. Not right now. That you should be just doing nothing. And when I say that, the stuff that you should be doing in the meantime that I'm going to come to, but I'm not talking about big events. I'm not talking about pushing yourself and and putting yourself and getting outside of there. Here's a tip for you that's going to help you to last longer in ministry and be more effective. Be intent, not intense. Be intent, not intense. What does it mean? It means be intent in your desire to do good works for the kingdom. But don't be intense about it. Be intent on staying in God's will, whatever that looks like, however mundane it might look at times. If you have a peace inside of you that that tells you that you are in God's will, keep doing what you're doing or keep not doing what you're not doing. That peace that you are in God's will, don't be intense. If you're consistent in your faith and the way that you treat other people around you in a good Christian fashion, you're going to do way more for the kingdom than if you're running around like a headless chicken, looking for the next opportunity to do something, that, that some, some work in the name of Jesus that's in the spotlight. The most impactful and impacting Christians I know are the most humble and unassuming people. There is just as much work done and just as much good achieved, if not more, by the people that you don't even know are there. Working behind the scenes. Take this morning, for example. You see the praise and worship team. You see Pastor Alan. You see me. But there is so much more that's going on in the background. And let me tell you this. If they all didn't do their jobs, you would notice that way more than if I didn't do mine. There's so much going on. But those people are there and they are serving the Lord. They're not doing it for pats on the back. They're not doing it for accolades. And they're not doing it for the spotlight. I love the people that I get to serve alongside. Because they're all the kind of people that are just excited to do the work for God that nobody sees as they are to do the work for the people that notice. There's not a person on the praise and worship team, for example, that would hesitate for a second if I asked them to do something behind the scenes after church. None of them. They're all up here and it's easy to think, oh, well, the people will get get up on stage because they want to be seen on stage. No, they're up on stage because they want to use the gifts and their talents to praise the Lord Jesus. But I absolutely guarantee you this. If every one of them people walked off this stage and I handed them a toilet plunger and said, the the toilet in the ladies' stall three is blocked, they would all take the plunger and go do it without hesitation. And I'm not saying that for them to get a pat on the back, although they deserve it. What I'm saying to you is that's how you should be wired. You should be wired if there's something that needs to be done for the Lord. Then you just go ahead and do whether people notice it and see it or they don't. If you're going to truly fulfill God's plan for your life, for the whole of your life, you need to be intent. You have to be intent. You can't accidentally fall your way into it. You have to be intent, but you do not have to be intense. Burn like a candle. Don't explode like a firework. Fireworks look pretty and they make a loud noise, but they don't last very long. Burn like a candle. 
Again, this takes awareness. It takes prayer. It takes listening to godly counsel. It takes people around you sometimes maybe saying, slow down a little. Just slow down. Slow down. It takes that. But listen, when godly people are telling you that you need to slow down a little bit, it takes having a different perspective on success to what the world is going to tell you. Culture today is all about being front and center. It's all about social media likes. It's all about accolades. And I'm not knocking it. I'm just telling you that's what it is. We need to be aware that that's the way it is. It's about pushing yourself forward and being in everybody's face as much as you can be. And I'm not saying again that that's all bad. I'm not saying that. That's the culture we live in. I'm not dogging culture. I'm making you aware of what it is that's steering people and making people make decisions. I'm just saying we need to make sure that our motivation is pure and not what the world tells us we should be chasing. Paul spoke to the Roman churches in his letter about making sure to be aware that the world can and does have a different set of opinions to those we should be steered by. He says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We have to always be doing our very best to be aware of what it is that God wants us to be doing, not what people want us to be doing. I need to be driven by what I know is going to be pleasing to God, not what's going to be pleasing to people. And that includes what might please Christian people and it includes what might please me I have to put what will please God before any of those things now I haven't been around the church world for as long as many of you have but I've been in the thick of it now for long enough to have seen a lot of people who have been pulled away from where they are at by the thought and temptation of position and opportunity elsewhere I don't presume to know what God's plan is for all of their lives. But I know this much. I know how much they were impacting lives doing what they were doing, where they were doing it, and how little they are now impacting where they're at at this point in time. Just because something is appealing to you, it might make you feel good. It might make you and put you in a position where people respect your position and give you accolades. It doesn't make it the right thing to do. And it certainly doesn't automatically make it in God's plan. So don't get me wrong. I like it when people like what it is that I do, but I like it a whole lot more when I know that God is liking what I'm doing. Your opinion, I'm not going to dismiss it and say, you know what, I don't care what you think. But if I've got the choice between your opinion and God's, you don't stand a chance. I'm not interested in what you have to say about what I'm doing. If I know it's outside of God's will, the last thing I want is being told that I'm doing a great job. If I know that I'm outside of God's will, and you know that I'm outside of God's will, I need you to come and slap me upside the head. I don't need you saying, great job, Pete, keep up the great... I need you to come and say, hang on a second, are you sure what you're doing right now is what God, will, God wants you to be doing? God's plan for your life and all it involves is very often, it's tough to understand, it's tough to grasp. And God's plan for your life is very often counterculture. What does it mean? I mean, it means it's against what people would have you believe is a good thing. Oh, don't do that. That's that's old school. Don't do that. That's old. That's so old-fashioned. That's just that's a that, culture today does not know what is best for you. Culture today knows what is best for culture. It doesn't know what's best for you. We have to seek out what it is that God wants for us and from us, and trust that that is what we need to be doing. Our life is going to be better for that. Every single time. 
And the Bible tells us so. Proverbs 3, 5, 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So while I can't tell you specifically every single thing that's in God's plan for your individual life, I can tell you this with confidence. His plan is that you live your whole life in his will. That you live his whole, your whole life in his will. And I don't just mean your whole life lengthwise. I mean widthwise as well. I'm not just talking about having the rest of your life in his will. I'm talking about having everything in your life for the rest of your life in his will. That might sound complex, but if you are doing something for the Lord and you are serving in this ministry and you are pushing and you are striving and you are driving and you are setting the world alight because you've got engagements, public speaking engagements, six or seven days a week, and your family is falling apart because you aren't there when you should be, then that's not having the whole of your life in God's will. You understand? Width-wise. Take a look at your life. Not the yesterdays and not the tomorrows. The todays. Look at it width-wise. Is my family life good? Are my finances good? Are my friendships good? Are the people I'm around good? Am I good? Am I healthy? Am I overly tired? Am I stretching myself? Am I in sin? Am I doing something I shouldn't be? And am I not doing something I should be? That's width-wise. That's width-wise. And if you take care of that every day, then the rest of it will look after itself. Because if I'm in God's will today, and I know I was in God's will yesterday, then it's a pretty safe bet that I'm on the right track. And I've just got to take the next step tomorrow. But what do I do tomorrow? Then I say, am I still on the right track today? Was I on the right track do you see what it is I'm saying? Width-wise, not just length-wise. Let's make sure that we're in God's will. We make it complicated. We really do. Living life as a Christian, it's actually supposed to be very simple. It's not easy, but it's supposed to be simple. It's not complex. There's too many Christians spending so much time trying to figure out how to be a productive Christian that they spend no time actually being one. That's the truth. It's the truth. And this is not new. This problem is not new. This is not something that I've just suddenly come up with. This is not something which is new in this church or any church. This is a problem that believers have had and faced since the very beginning. All the way through the Old Testament, you've got story after story, book after book, century after century, with accounts of people being disobedient to God while they were trying to figure out how to be obedient. They spent so much time trying to come up with ideas of how best to worship and serve him that they forgot the fact that they'd already been told how to do those things. There's countless numbers of God's people that fall into the trap of conforming to the world and worship the gods of the people the way that the other people did. They followed the lead of the people around them. Now in their defense in the Old Testament, there's a lot of ceremonial laws that had to be followed. But the basic premise of following God was still the same then as it is today. Micah was God's prophet around 725 BC. And the main thrust of his ministry was warning the children of Israel against false prophets and the results of following them. And you know, I love this passage in chapter 6 in the book of Micah. He's speaking about what it is that God requires of his people. He says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? 
Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And here we are, over 2,700 years later, and God requires the very same thing from us today. What does he require from us but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with our God, with him? Not away from him, not against him, with him, humbly. What does it mean? It means living in the ways that God would have us live and not in our own ways. Walking within his plan and not our own. All right, so how do we do that? Question three, how do I fulfill God's plan for my life? Another great question. Thanks for asking it. I'm going to do my very best to answer that in the time that I've got left. I'm going to start by telling you clearly what you don't have to do. You don't have to work your way to perfection. You don't have to work your way to perfection. And you certainly do not have to work your way to heaven. God's plan for your life does not include either of those things. The first thing won't happen. You will never be perfect as long as you are in this lifetime. The second can't happen. You can't work your way into heaven. There's only one way to get there, and that's through Jesus Christ. And if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, then that work has already been done by him. You were chosen, and you were adopted as God's child at that point in time. Ephesians 1, 3, 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In his sight, that means. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So if you have accepted Jesus and accepted the fact he died and he rose again for your sins, it means that you in that moment were set apart by God. And he sees you now as holy and blameless. He sees you as holy and blameless. Another time out. You are not holy and blameless. But he sees you as holy and blameless. Him setting you apart in that moment and forever. That's known as positional sanctification. You are sanctified, which means set apart. In that moment, you are positionally sanctified. There's no further work that's required from you to get to heaven, where you will be perfect. But you aren't going to be until you get there. But you are going to be when you get there. Paul, in the next chapter of Ephesians, he explains it this way. He says, for by grace... You've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So there's no work for you to do to be saved and go to heaven. But once you've been saved, there is work for you to do to become the best version of you that you can be while you are still here. You understand? You can't do works to get you to heaven. But once you've established the fact that you're going to heaven, now you need to do some work to become the best version of you that you can be until you get there. Okay? 
That's what's called progressive sanctification. You are now becoming better and more sanctified. You are becoming more holy. You are becoming more righteous as you're moving forward. And the great news is this. You're not going to do that on your own. God gives us a Holy Spirit within us at that point of our being saved as our guide and as our helper. And he also equips us with the tools that we need to become the best us that we can be over the course of time. Look at this. Long piece of scripture, but I'm going to race through it. 2 Peter 1, 3 to 8. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So everything that we need for our life and for us to be godly, he has given to us through his divine power. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So what is it saying here? It's basically saying because you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he is now taking you out of that world where you can be steered and governed by the corruption of sin. Doesn't make you perfect or holy or righteous, but he has lifted you out of there and he has set you aside. He has said, I'm going to punish these people here. I am not going to punish these people here because I've accepted my son as Lord and Savior. So you are now inheritance is the word. You are inheriting now all that God has for his children. So he's set you apart. It's done. The work is done. You are saved. It's done, but you are not perfect. Everybody with me so far? You're not perfect. Everybody with me so far? You're not perfect. Everybody with me so far? So now you've been set apart. But get this next part. For this very reason. What reason? The reason that you've been set apart. God has set you apart. He said he's calling you sanctified. He's calling you his child. You are his adopted child. So for that very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these things that you are to make an effort to improve and increase and attach to your life, these qualities that you are instructed to strive to make more of in your life, they are going to stop you from being ineffective and unfruitful. If you were supposed to be perfect at the moment that you were saved, we wouldn't be being called to make every effort to add these qualities in our lives. If we had everything, if we were doing everything, if we instantly were healed of every issue and challenge that we faced, we wouldn't be being asked to make effort. We have to make effort in our personal and progressive sanctification. If we were supposed to be perfect, we wouldn't be. Uh, all of these virtues would already max, be maxed out, right? We wouldn't have to increase them or add to them. So this improvement that takes place over time, as I said, is progressive sanctification. So the key is this. God's plan isn't for you to be perfect at the point that you were saved and stay perfect for the rest of your life. He doesn't hand you a checklist and expect you to check off that checklist every single morning before you go out of your front door. Nor does he say if you've got any of these black marks by the end of the day, then you're in serious, serious doo-doo. That's not the way that God operates. You are set apart and sanctified and seen by him as righteous and holy. And then what we have to do, because we've been granted that grace and that gift, which none of us deserve, we then have to spend the rest of our lives just because of that, 
For that very reason, we need to be coming more righteous and more holy. I don't want to be the same person I was when I'm facing God and I'm taken from this planet. I don't want to go up and face him, the same guy that I was when he had me saved at 40 years of age. I mean, how? I mean, talk about embarrassing. I mean, goodness gracious me, right? Uh, I mean, God, what can I tell you? I mean, I'm just, I'm just sorry, man. I mean, I just, I just, I did. So what? Did, I mean, I didn't do anything actually. I mean, thinking about it, I just spent the rest of my time on the planet doing exactly what it was I was doing before I was saved, and and yet here I am. Thanks, mate. I mean, that's not gonna, that's not the, what it's about. We need to be striving and stretching, not because we have to meet God's requirements or expectations, but because, you know what, he deserves that. My God deserves me to become the best I can be. Because even if I could, and I can't, even if I could become perfect, and even if I could touch the world in a massive way and have hundreds of thousands of people come to know Christ because of what it is that I've done and my perfection, it would never repay him for what he's done for me. It wouldn't. So here's the point I'm coming to here. As you make this progression, as you are progressively becoming sanctified, as you are making this, these decisions to add these qualities to your life and increase these qualities, you are still going to make mistakes. You're still going to make bad choices. But the whole idea of, of progressive sanctification is that over the course of time, five years from now, you should be making less bad decisions than you are today. And you should be making more good decisions than you are today. But guess what? You're still going to be making bad decisions. And you're still going to do things and say things that you shouldn't really be saying. But you're going to be doing it less than you are today. And that's what it is. So stop feeling condemnation for what it is that you see as falling short. And please, please, please stop pretending that you're perfect. Please stop pretending. Because you know what? When you talk to me and you're pretending to be perfect... You know you're not. I know you're not. God knows you're not. And let me enter into a secret. Don't tell everybody. But everybody else knows you're not. Everybody. But it's the people out there who are not knowing Christ. They're the ones that are impacted by it. Because you're pretending to be something that you're not. And I don't ever want to give anybody a, a, a reason to say, I don't want anyone pointing their finger at me and saying that he is the reason that I don't want to be a Christian. I mean, God, can you imagine that? I want people pointing at me and saying, you know what, this Christian thing, it doesn't look like such a bad thing after all. I've been burned a couple of times and there's a couple of people I would call hypocrites, but him, he's, he seems a bit, you know what, I hate to say this about a Christian, but he seems kind of normal. We need to go about our daily business doing the works of Christians. So don't feel that condemnation. But here's the other side to that coin. Don't think that you are beyond help. Don't just rely entirely on God taking away every single thing in your life that you know shouldn't be there. Don't go to sleep at night and praying that he's going to take this away from you if it's in your power and your control to take it away for you for yourself. Let's take an example from that scripture there. It says, add to this self-control. So you're to add self-control to these virtues. Add them into your life. You, you should have a life that displays self-control. Let me give you an example. If you've got a potty mouth, fix your potty mouth. I'm not telling you that. I'm giving it as an example of what you might do, what you could do. 
Okay, God's healed you of all these things, but oh, it never healed, it never healed my, my potty mouth. Heal your own potty mouth. Listen to what it is that you're saying and what it is that you're speaking. You know, my vocabulary in church is the same as it is outside of church. I don't have to think about it or worry about it or concern about it or have the church two-faced thing. I don't have to walk in and be different to how I am out there. And you should all be in the same position. Firstly, because we accept you as broken and as messed up as you are anyway. And secondly, because whilst you're out there, you should be looking to improve. Okay, so again, clean up that you can actually clean up to. If God, God saved you, and he, and, he, and he saved you from, and he healed you from, as he did with me, he healed me from depression, he healed me from porn addiction, he healed me from all sorts of different things. But you know what he left behind? He left behind cigarettes. I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I didn't stop smoking cigarettes. I couldn't stop smoking cigarettes when I was saved. Everything else was taken away from me, but the cigarettes were not taken away. So what did I do? Did I curl up in a ball and cry about the fact that, what, God, what are you doing? I mean, you didn't take the cigarettes away. I mean, Lord, you didn't take the cigarettes. I know, okay, all right, I take on, yes, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, but Pete, you're not bipolar anymore. You're not having to take any more medication. You're not addicted to alcohol anymore. You're not addicted to porn anymore. Your life is completely transformed or changed, and you're going to heaven and you're not going to hell. But I'm so sorry that I didn't take away the cigarettes. What did I do? Instead of going out and buying a pack of cigarettes, I went out and bought a pack of, pack of Nicorette gum. And I started chewing gum instead of smoking. And you know what? I don't smoke no more. Because I, but I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. What I'm saying is, is you are going to be left with some things. Why? Because your plan is different to my plan. People say to me, well, I can't be saved because I wasn't saved like you. I didn't go run into the toilet and throw up for 20 minutes like you do, Pastor Pete. I don't care. You're not less saved than I am. You're just saved in a different way. You're just left in a different way. Why? Because that was my plan, not your plan. And your plan is not my plan. Live your plan. God owes us nothing, nothing, nothing. And we owe him everything. If we can change these things in our life, change these things in our life. Band, please come back. Save these people. Save these people. Band, can anybody hear me? Has anyone got a headset? Come on. Let's give the praise and worship team of... Okay, final tip. Be in God's Word. Be in God's Word. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, which is what it is that I'm talking about. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This Scripture is a powerful, powerful Scripture if you fully understand it. It's not just about the validity of the Bible. It's not talking about the fact only that it is the God-breathed. These are God's very own words. That's the way the scripture is used by me several times to, stre- to, to, to stress that it's all God's words. But shall I tell you what's more impactful when it comes to the topic that we're talking about? It says that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, this is being spoken to Christians. So what does this tell you? It tells you two things. It tells you, firstly, you still need to be taught. You still need to be reproofed. You still need to be corrected. You still need to be trained in righteousness. 
So stop feeling bad that you still need those things in your life. You're supposed to need those things in your life. What's the second thing it tells you? That all of those things that you need, you can find in his word. You can find all of those things in his word. So I'm going to wrap up. I've got more, but I'm not going to share it with you. I'm already in huge trouble. Trust me, I'm in huge, huge trouble already. So listen. Be in the word. Learn. Be around people. Seek godly counsel. And by godly counsel, I mean this. You might have a really good friend who you know is a godly person. But if you are going to them for advice and counsel, and they are telling you what it is that you want to hear, let me tell you what you have there. You have a, fr- you have a godly person who's giving you friendly counsel. You don't need that. You need a friend that's going to give you godly counsel. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a huge difference. You should know when you're receiving godly counsel because it should hurt a little bit. It should be painful. And it's on, not every time, but a lot of the times, it should be the words you're hearing should be words that you definitely don't want to hear. So we need to, as I said, understand this. Your plan is your plan. And you are living your plan. God's plan, sorry. God's plan you are living out. As long as you're not forcing the issue, making the plans yourself, 24-7, 365, you're in his plan. Bow your heads where you're at if you would. I want to pray for each and every one of you. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you and we thank you for who it is that you are, God. We thank you, Lord, that you are in control of every situation, that you have a plan for our lives, Lord. We trust in you with that and we thank you for that, Father God. We just love you. I just pray over every person here that they would, from this day forward, they would just take a step back and they would look. And they would look, Lord, at what your plan is for their life, not their own plan. That they would be patient in the waiting, Father God. They wouldn't force the issue. That everybody here would burn like candles and not just explode like fireworks, Father God. That they would just trust in you. They would seek your word. They would seek your counsel. They would shape their lives around the way that you would want them to be. And they would change forever, Lord. We love you in this house. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Keep your heads bowed if you would and your eyes closed.